Alright, what's up guys? Um, it's been a minute since I checked in on the old Lost in the Sauce with DT. Um, as some of you may or may not know, um, I recently, and when I say recently, it's been a few months, um, took a job opportunity, so I've been a little bit sidetracked. Um, it's in a new boutique hotel downtown in Memphis. So we've literally just gotten the hotel launched, just gotten the restaurant launched, just gotten everything kind of underway. But as you can probably imagine, um, some of my side projects, aka lost in the sauce and some things like that kind of got pushed a little farther to the side. Um, as I was focusing on the, uh, the newest undertaking. So <clears throat> that being said, I wanted to kind of check back in. A few people have messaged me recently asking about when the next sauce was going to come out and all that stuff. So, um, here I am. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, you can probably imagine that I am sitting in my driveway in the cockpit of my car, which it's actually pretty nice this time of year. It's not stupid hot, so, um, I'm not sweating like crazy because I do, as you remember, turn the car off and turn the air conditioning off because it kind of makes a weird vibration noise in the background. So maybe I should just wait till winter to do all of them and just crank out a bunch and then stage them out over the course of the year because, uh, I can definitely remember a couple of, uh, episodes I recorded this summer. It was stupid hot and I was definitely sweaty wiping my forehead and stuff on shirts that I can find in the car. But anyway, um, a couple of people have asked me and I think I've alluded to the fact, um, that at some point I would address kind of a little bit of my past and a little bit of the road that's delivered me up to this point in my life and actually had a very cool, very strange circumstance arise yesterday. I was actually at work and it kind of prompted some reflection by me and it kind of prompted some thinking about um, former lives that I've lived on this earth. Um, so I uh, kind of decided maybe today, maybe this episode was a good time that I kind of to to get into some of the past that has led me to being clean, being sober, taking a look in the mirror, um, kind of choosing recovery as a way of life and, and things like that. Um, I'll actually start all this by telling you the story, uh, of yesterday. It's kind of funny. Um, I will not use any names to protect the innocent, but, um, I was in the office at work and <clears throat> some of the other management was there. And when I say other management, we've got, restaurant management, there's hotel management, there's actually, you know, the um, director of finance, yada, yada, yada. It's a pretty, uh, it's a wonderful team of people that I enjoy working with, but it's definitely people from different walks of life, not just the restaurant side of the service industry. So the rooms director comes into the office and he's like, hey, so there is a guest in one of the rooms that wants to use the, we have like a poker room um, at the hotel, wants to use the poker room to shoot like a video. And then of course, you know, we all like crack little jokes, like what kind of video, you know, like maybe we don't need to be involved with any stuff like this, yada, yada, yada. So long story short, the guest's name comes up. And as we do in this era, um, 
I type it into Facebook because I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm trying to see who this is, like see what's going on. And I look and I stop deadpan because obviously this person, their last name is different now than it used to be when I knew them. I was like, hey, hold up. I know this person. And literally everyone stops. And I also, if you know me, you know that I play a lot of games where um, it's maybe DT's BSing right now, maybe DT's not BSing right now. And I like to definitely deadpan and try to keep people off balance as to whether or not I'm actually trying to mess with them and hustle them into believing something that's not true or whether something is actually true. And so they're kind of looking at me a little bit skeptically because this is definitely like she's a... um, a local musical artist. Um, she's definitely younger than me and they're like, uh, yeah, okay. Like, sure. I'm sure you know this person. It's like, no, for real, I do. Um, I actually used to pick her and her little brother up from school and they're like, all right, you're completely full of shit now. Like we're not buying any of this. And so long story short, I was like, all right, well, cool, you know, and, and I, I think they, they maybe believe, maybe didn't. They're like, all right, you know, we're, they're kind of waiting for me to be like, oh, you know, I'm just kidding. And so like, well, you know, we got to go up there and give her the price to use the poker room. Like, you want to go up there with me? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll go up there. You know, it'd, it'd be cool to see her, like yada, yada, yada. And so long story short, this was the daughter of a dude <laughs> that, um, and the, the happiest part of all this is this is a former friend of mine that me and him definitely operated more on the illegal side of life for quite some time. We definitely had, um, uh, both of us had quite an accumulation of personal demons that we dealt with back in the day, but I spent a lot of time with this person. And actually, um, there was a specific period of time in my life, um, as I was, slipping farther and farther into my life being out of control. I was actually living in South Memphis on this person's couch and doing what I do, yada, yada, yada. And so randomly, you know, when, when you're basically living with somebody, your lives can at some point become kind of intertwined. So there was a period of time where when he was busy or he was doing something or, you know, we were trying to make something happen to generate a little bit of income or whatever, I would pick his kids up from school and it's like, hey, y'all are going to kick it with me for a couple hours and I'm going to drop you back off, yada, yada, yada. So fast forward the tape, like literally 15 years later, I'm upstairs in the hotel that I work at um, in my little chef duds wearing my apron and all that stuff. And we knock on the door. She opens the door and I lean over and she was like, oh my God, what's up, DT? And it was kind of a cool thing. You know, we exchanged a couple hugs and... Um, it was definitely cool to see each other, but it kind of, um, it was a funny, you know, I think it was a funny story for them to kind of, to see unfold. And then, you know, for me personally, it kind of put me in this reflective, um, reflective, reflective space kind of mentally, just thinking about, um, thinking about my past and thinking about the path that I've traveled and thinking about, um, all the people that have passed through my life and all the people whose lives have passed, um, I've passed through, you know, and, um, very, very happily, some of them are still here and some of them have gotten to better places in their lives. 
um, which the former situation, I don't know if I said it or not, um, he as well as I have both gotten our lives to much different circumstances and overcome a lot of our personal issues or continue to work on our personal issues. So it's definitely one of those stories and his daughter's doing great. So it's definitely one of those stories that has a happy ending. Um, that being said, on the other side of the coin, there's a lot of people whose lives I've passed through and who have passed through my life that, um, the ending's not as happy. And, um, you know, some of those people that have played pivotal roles or, um, definitely been in my life at the right time for the right reason. Some of them are no longer with me and some of them are no longer on this earth. And, um, while those are things that I'm always aware of, <clears throat> they're not necessarily things that I think about on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes because we get caught up with, you know, living life on life's terms and, and, you know, taking care of our responsibilities and just doing, you know, you know, not in a selfish way as a human, we're always hyper-focused on what we're doing, what's going on with us day to day. And sometimes we don't always think about, um, the rest of it, you know what I mean? All the other stuff in the past and, and kind of why we were able to get to where we are currently. So, um, with the way things unfolded yesterday, I was definitely in that space last night and I've been off work today and I've been pondering a little bit more and I just felt like everything was kind of lining up naturally to me, for me to take a little trip down memory lane and kind of maybe give some of the people that listen to this podcast some insight into um, why I am the way that I am, why I do the things that I do, why I'm choosing to do this podcast, why... You know, why, 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 why? The one question that we all want to ask a million times a day, uh, you know, a day, a week, whatever in life. Um, so here we are, and I guess I'll get into it. So <clears throat> born, born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, um, I am the youngest of four children. I have two older brothers and I have an older sister. I have two parents because that is what is required to make a child as best I can understand it. I think science has probably made some of that number irrelevant, but my parents chose to do it the old-fashioned way, so there were two of them. Um, I definitely... Um, I'd like to preface all this by saying this is my view upon myself as I see it. I'm pretty realistic. I'm pretty open. I'm pretty uh, open is a relative term. I might get into that later on. Um, I'm pretty blunt about who I am and what I'm doing here. So none of this is poor pitiful me. None of this is, you know, whatever you want to call it. This ain't that. This is just me telling y'all a story. Um, obviously, my life has unfolded in a way that has been pretty beneficial and pretty great for me to be a part of. So I ain't crying. I ain't whining. I'm just telling y'all how some shit went down back in the day. So <clears throat> being the youngest of four, um, I think, you know, and, and then we're not going to get into the star signs and personalities and yada, 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 but... I think my upbringing, I think my personality type, whether you want to call it my zodiac sign or whatever, has always had me be somewhat of like a malleable person. I'm able to fit in a lot of boxes. I'm able to fit into a lot of different situations. I definitely, in a 
growing up in a not small family and a family that had some already existing dynamics, which I entered into being the youngest, um, get in where you fit in is probably, you know, kind of one of those overall themes of my life. So I've always kind of operated, um, with that strength and with that, um, handful of cards to play. Um, you know, uh, so fast forward that, into growing up, you know, I was definitely able to slide in and out of, of different worlds, of different like social constructs, of different friend groups, of different yada, yada, yada. Um, and I definitely, and if you're versed in recovery, if you're versed in addiction, um, or if you're even versed in any kind of like self-help or anything like that, um, you'll hear the phrase a lot. And I think it, it plays itself into a lot of different um, emotional states of being or however you want to call it, alone in a room. Um, I've always kind of felt like in my life I'm surrounded by people. I'm surrounded by people that are friends. I'm surrounded by people that are acquaintances. I'm surrounded by whatever you want to call it. But I've always kind of felt like I was on a little bit of an island too. And this is the part I'm talking about. Like, man, I ain't crying about it. Honestly, I prefer it that way a lot of times. But um, I've definitely always felt like I was an individual on my own negotiating a lot of different sets of circumstances going through life where I was intermingling with, working alongside of, dealing with mentally, physically, or emotionally people but always definitely separate, always definitely on my own, always kind of definitely like this army of one type situation. So, you know, play that forward um, or, you know, um, dig a little deeply, dig a little more deeply into that. And I feel like um, a man apart was always kind of my mental and physical state. And kind of a bit of an outsider, kind of a bit of, um, misunderstood is not the right word. Maybe misunderstood by myself is, so maybe it is the right word, but you know, you, you grow up, you grow up through adolescence and you grow up through, you know, whatever, all the, the stuff that we negotiate, um, as we're living our lives. And I always felt like, um, I was just never quite home. You know what I mean? Never quite home with family, never quite home with... And honestly, this is probably a way that a lot of people feel, I can imagine. The way society is nowadays and the way, um, you know, social media and just the life moves so fast. Um, I've been actually really curious over the years to know, like, if everyone sat down and everyone was honest how many people just legit feel out of place all the time, even in situations where they seem to be excelling or they seem to be in a room full of people that love them and they're laughing and they're having fun. You know, how many people just feel like, um, they're just out of place. Cause that was definitely always me. Um, and honestly, sometimes, you know, in my current life with all the things that I've been able to work through and all the stuff that I've been able to overcome, um, I still feel out of place a lot. But anyway, you kind of put all that stuff into a bag and shake it around, you know, self-image issues, um, yada, 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 all the stuff we go through. Um, and 
reach in there and pull me out as a 16, 17, 18 year old adolescence and introduce drugs. And it was literally, I can remember multiple times in my life. um, And it's really scary when I look back on it, but I can remember multiple times in my life, multiple states of being and multiple states of feeling that all revolved around some sort of chemical substance that all revolved around drugs and feeling like I was finally home, uh, feeling like I had always, uh, that I had finally found that like piece of me that was missing or that thing that was like, um, it's like the power strip. You know what I mean? It's like you've, you, you go through life and you've got all these cords that are loose and you can plug them in one at a time and you can use them and, and you can get shit done, but they just never feel like they line up. They never feel like they're run correctly. They never feel like it's quite meant to be a package. And for me, um, drugs were the introduction of the power strip. And it's like, I could plug everything in at once and I feel right. I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. I feel like I'm, um, it's weird. It's, it's weird to describe. It sounds weird to listen to myself describe it right now, but that's as close as I can equate it. And maybe it's because of my, um, the fact that I'm an addict, but literally, um, the first time I tried drugs and the first time that I tried certain drugs that, which became my drugs of choice, um, it really felt like home and it really felt like for the first time in my life, in a weird fucked up way, it was like, oh, this is my purpose. Like, this is why I'm on this earth to do this. Because it just like, it resonates on this really weird level. I think if you're predispositioned or if you're whatever you want to call it, wired to be an addict, um, it's a very powerful mental, physical, and emotional feeling that first time you discover whatever is going to be your drug of choice. It's, it's, it's almost not to, not to sound like a crazy person, but it's almost like spiritual on some weird levels. So as you can probably imagine with how I just described those initial situations in my life, you can probably very, very quickly understand how it became a major issue and how it became a major problem for me. Um, once I was introduced to drugs and alcohol, alcohol moved through my life really quickly. That doesn't mean that like alcohol is not a thing that um, I can and did have issues with. Um, my biggest issue in life was probably when it comes to substances, just more. Um, I always wanted more. I honestly had an ability to like ingest a lot more than a lot of people, which is I really I used to think it was really cool. <laughs> and like looking at it now, it was really sad probably. Um, cause it just accelerated everything and it just made, it made everything in my life so much more unmanageable, so much more quickly. Um, and so it's not hard to figure out, um, you know, how I, how I lost control of things. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of funny. It would have taken you a lot of convincing to convince me of any of this stuff back then. But like, as I listen to myself talk about it now, it's like, man, you were fucked from the jump. Like, how did you not know it? Um, but that's the weird thing. I feel like that's the weird thing about addiction. And that's the weird thing about mental illness is you get so used to, you know, no matter how skewed 
and how sick and twisted your internal monologue is or your subconscious or whatever, it speaks to you in your own voice, which is very, very, very confusing. And it's a very, very, very powerful tool in your own personal destruction because at one point in my life, I had to figure out that my own worst enemy spoke to me in my own voice and it spoke to me inside my own head. And that's a really, um, shitty realization to come, to come to terms with. But, you know, um, that's where I was at. That's where it all started for me. Um, you know, obviously life starts when we're born and and we have all these poignant moments, but, um, that is where my road to becoming the person who's speaking into this, iPhone right now in his car in his driveway recording a podcast. Um, that's where my path to this started. Um, I tried dr- I tried drugs and I was immediately immediately sucked in and it was immediately the biggest thing in my life. Drugs were my best friend. Drugs superseded any relationship in my life. They superseded any sense of right or wrong and after a very short period of time and until I was, um, very, very, very luckily, very gratefully, um, delivered to a place where I could get myself clean and get myself sober. They super, they, they took a precedent even to my own personal safety in my own life. Um, I literally, there was a period of time where I took my life into my own hands, not only daily, multiple times a day. And, you know, looking back, I don't want this to turn into like the biggest war story in the world. War story is kind of what we call in 12 step programs and in the rooms of, you know, AA or NA or whatever. uh, When someone's just like flat out telling you, it's like you're, you know, you're, you're listening to your dad and his brother tell stories about who was the bigger badass um, when they were growing up. Um, I'm not going to let this turn into that. Um, Obviously, I was a badass. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I did a lot of dumb shit. I was lucky to to come out a lot of it alive. Um, I'll kind of fast forward through some of this stuff. I stole. Um, I robbed, cheated, and stole from people that I loved. Um, there was definitely a period of time in my life where, if you were forced to be in the same in the same like space as me, space and time. Um, you were being lied to, you were being manipulated, you were being hustled in some way, shape or form. Um, I definitely burned a lot of bridges. I definitely did a lot of things that I've had to own up for and make amends for, um, specifically in my life in general, I still make mistakes, but like specifically revolving around my drug use. Um, I took my parents and my family through a hell that I can't even imagine, having to daily watch and daily deal with and daily, um, just wonder like what the actual fuck is going on with your child and why they continue to hurt you. They continue to let you down and they continue to disappoint you. And the crazy thing about it, and it sounds like such a cop out to say it even right now, is it was never, to me, it never felt personal because I had this other thing. I had this best friend. I had this issue, you know? And it's like, listen, I understand that 
it's just crazy. It's crazy to put into words and it makes me feel crazy almost to even sit here and talk about it. But it's like, I can remember even back in the day, like one, you know, and I'll gloss over this quick. It's honestly really embarrassing, but, um, you know, it's, it's, Hey, I did it and I'll put it out there. Um, I'll never forget something that happened when I was in treatment. Like when I, I, so I went to treatment and, um, the center, the treatment center that I went to, you were on like this blackout where basically like you went there and you couldn't use the phone for seven days. And I get why they did it. They didn't want you, you know, like clearly you fucked your knife. You've screwed your life up. You've done enough. Go sit down somewhere. Go sit your ass down for a week. Leave everybody alone and take a breath. And then in a week you can get on the phone and you can start telling, you know, you can tell everybody you hate them. You can tell everybody you're sorry or tell everybody this or tell everybody that. So I'll never forget it. And I'm going to tell y'all some stories as I'm, um, as I'm telling y'all my story, I'm going to tell y'all some stories on this episode of this podcast. And the, the reason that I'm saying them or the reason that I'm telling you them or the reason that I'm making myself, I'm exposing myself is perspective. Um, the biggest thing in my life these days is perspective. Um, so I'll never forget. I don't know if it was the actual first time I was able to use the phone, but it was definitely very on, very early on when I was able to have phone privileges, I called my parents and, uh, I had to have a conversation with my mom who was in tears about the fact that I had sold her wedding ring. Um, and we were able to get it back because uh, I sold it to a pawn shop. Oh, this is embarrassing. My face is like red <clears throat> as I'm telling this story. But long story short, um, I had a huge addiction. I was an intravenous drug user and I was you know, shooting heroin. I was shooting Dilaudid. I was shooting morphine. And things take definitely a different life when being a drug user crosses over into the threshold of you will get physically ill if you don't get high. Um, being an addict is enough. It's more than enough for you to ruin your life. But when you sprinkle in the cherry on top of the fact that you truly become physically addicted to opiates, um, it was a rough time in my life and it was obviously rough for all the people around me. But, um, you know, as, as so many things did in my life back then, what turns out to be a happy, happy time for everybody, which was my parents celebrating an anniversary of their wedding and my dad getting my mom a new wedding ring turned into me being a piece of shit and knowing where I bet she put the old one. And when they were out of town, I actually went by, uh, their house and I got it and I took a loan out on it. Um. You know, in my mind, always at that time, I was going to hustle and I was going to get the money back because, you know, I was <clears throat> selling dope on some levels to support my habit back then. I was always ripping and running. I would always have some sort of little job and hustle going on. So money was definitely passing through my hands. So, you know, I'd always tell myself at the time, like, oh, you know, I'm just going to, I just need this little money to get myself rolling again and I'll do this, I'll do that and it'll all be all right. Give me a couple days and I'll have it back out. Um, in this particular instance before I was able to get it back out, which I feel like I would have. Um, but you know, you, you can't ever tell because I definitely pawned some shit back in the day that I never did get back. Um, 
all my shit came to a head and I wound up going to treatment. And after I went to treatment, I feel like they probably did like an inventory <clears throat> of their house and some of the stuff and things like that. So I had to explain to my mother over the phone while I was sitting in rehab that, um, I had sold her wedding ring and, uh, man, this is hard to tell. Um, those are things that I think about and I don't think about them in a negative light. Um, although it's a hugely negative thing, but people ask me all the time, uh, they're like, it's kind of funny. Like, and I've seen those memes that go around, uh, or the little, the little things that go around on the internet where it's like alcohol is the only drug that you have to explain to people why you don't take it. And so being in the business that I'm in, uh, being in the restaurant business, I get a lot of people that ask me questions like, oh, wow, they're like, you never have a drink? And it's like, no, nah, man, never. And, um, and it doesn't bother me. Just you know, for anybody that's ever asked me that, dude, it's, it's par for the course. It's part of my life. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, I'll probably say something weird. I'll probably say something awkward in reply. So I figure it's only fair. Like if you're going to ask me, I'm never going to be mad at anybody for asking me, but I'll probably try to make it weird because like, I just like to do shit like that. So if you're listening to this and you've ever asked me that question, I promise you I ain't tripping. It's cool. Um, but people ask you and they're like, oh, you know, so you, you never have a drink or like you never smoke weed or like you never want to smoke weed or anything like that. And the answer is, of course, I want to smoke weed. Um, the answer is, of course, I want to drink sometimes. Uh, if you want me to be honest, the answer is, of course, I want to fucking shoot dope sometimes. Um, it's something that I feel like I was born and predisposed to do. But... Um, when I, and you know, definitely the feelings like that are much fewer and farther between as the years go on for me. And as I separate myself from that old way of living, but those are things that I think about, you know, like I understand, and maybe it sounds dramatic. Like I understand that me having a beer is not that is not that moment is not me explaining on the phone why I stole from the people that love me more than anything. And I love more than anything, but that's where it goes for me. It's not going to go there that given night. And it's probably not going to go there that week. But the last time I was truly left to my own devices and I didn't put any kind of system of checks and balances on my substance abuse, that's where that shit took me. And it's embarrassing and it hurts. It hurts me the fact that I had the ability to hurt somebody else that badly. And even worse, if I wanted to sit here and tell you more stories, but I'm not going to. Um, so that's a little thing. Like that's one of those little self-check-in type things where, you know, in any given moment, I play the tape all the way through. Like maybe it starts here and never, maybe it never goes back there. I don't know. But in any given time, in any given state of the way that I feel, if I start any entertaining the idea of using a substance to change the way that I feel, I'm realistically choosing to engage the part of me that was capable of doing things like that. And I'm just not willing to make that choice. I'm not willing to make that trade-off. I know it sounds dramatic, but I'm not willing to have a beer because of that one moment and because of a lot of moments like that, like it's just not going to happen. So I think when you heard me talking earlier, when I mentioned that I was going to, you know, speak about things for perspective, um, 
those are situations in my life where definitely some of the, the a lot of times the lowest point in my life specifically, I'll choose to use for a frame of reference um, to either create gratitude or to remind myself that, you know, little choices lead to large consequences sometimes for me specifically. And that, you know, this, this house that I've built or this, whatever you want to call it, that I've built this state of being that I've built that I live in nowadays. Um, I built it on a bunch of small choices that never seemed as huge in the moment as they wind up being in hindsight. And that can go both ways for me. That can go positive or negative. So, you know, that's just one example. Um, and I guess since, since in me using that example, um, I'll kind of glaze over. I don't feel like it serves a whole lot of purpose to sit here and talk about drug use. Um, there were a lot of drugs and it was basically like a 12 or 13 year period of my life. And I did them all. Um, I kind of used to joke back in the day that my true drug of choice was more. Um, I always wanted, I just, I never wanted to feel like myself. Once I really got introduced to drugs and once I engaged my addiction full blown, I didn't really care what it was. I didn't really care what it was going to do to me. Um, and you want to talk about taking your life in your own hands. People would give me shit that I wasn't even sure what the fuck it was or how to use it. And you're literally listening to some dude tell you like, no, this is what you do. You crush it up and you fucking suck it up into a syringe. And I would fucking do that shit, you know? And it's, it's crazy to look back at it now. Cause I literally like, man, everybody's, you know, it's kind of crazy. And I, I don't mean this the way that it sounds, but like, man, you can't fucking flip a coin without hearing fentanyl these days. And I remember when that fucking shit came out, <laughs> you know, like I was living with a nurse and that's honestly how I crossed the threshold into intravenous drug use. I can remember being scared to stick a needle in my own arm and having to get somebody to do it for me. And then you fast forward a couple of weeks and, you know, the way everything grew in my life, I'm already doing more than I wanted anybody to know. So I had to figure out how to do that shit myself. And I can remember... I don't feel like this is a good thing to talk about. Um, let me just say this. Um, I definitely don't want to glorify anything that I did. I don't, I thought hopefully nobody takes it the wrong way, but like, um, I'm very, very, very lucky to be alive. I'm very, very lucky that I'm not dead in jail or my life was inalterably changed by some of the idiotic choices that I made when I was getting high because, man, people would give me something that I had no idea what it was. And I would ingest it in whatever way that they said was the best way to ingest it to get as high as possible, to get as far away from however I was feeling in that moment that I didn't want to feel anymore. So I feel like that's enough on all that. I'll kind of repick up all that, um, all the stupid things that I did, all the crimes that I was a part of, I was literally living on somebody's couch in South Memphis, a place that I had no business being around people that had no respect or value for my life because they didn't know me from Adam. Um, all of that for years and years of my life delivered me to rehab. Um, so I'll kind of pick back up where I left off with that phone call from my mom. So you know, uh, I found myself at, at, <clears throat> at age, 
29, uh, sitting in rehab in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Uh, I had no idea. Um, you know, people ask me about this type stuff sometimes. Um, I can 100%, I'll never forget this. This is another one of those things that's like perspective or just one of those little like, you know, it's almost like there's all these little like stones that I hold in my pocket, um, proverbially that it's like when I need to kind of, you know, crystals, everybody likes to talk about crystals nowadays, right? I've got all these little like mental crystals that they, maybe they give me power. Maybe they give me luck. Maybe they just remind me of like how, um, how alone I felt or how lost I felt or how down and out I felt or how guilty I felt. And I don't, you know, and, and that's what I'm talking about. I don't want y'all to take any of this as like, Oh, you know, poor pitiful me. Cause you know, that, that ain't me and that ain't this. But, um, I can remember sitting in a treatment center and I legit went, I went the the reason I went to treatment, like people give you all kinds of, it's kind of funny. Um, also I'm, I'm a cynic, you know, I'll always be a cynic, but you hear all these stories about people that tell you that they chose to go to rehab or they chose to get clean or they chose to get sober. I'm going to say one thing definitively right now. Nobody fucking chooses that for themselves. They agree to it and they seize the opportunity and I am grateful that they achieve success and they achieve sobriety or they get themselves to a different place. But it is always, always, always somebody else's motherfucking idea, whether it be the police, whether it be your parents, whether it be the legal system, somebody helps you come to that decision where you decide that you should stop doing drugs. You should stop drinking. You should go to rehab. You should get your life together. The universe has a magical way of making that decision for you. And you just agree to it. That's a fucking fact right there. But anyway, um, if I'm being honest about why I went to treatment, um, I had been living on the dope man's couch in South Memphis for a while. Um, I was essentially homeless. Uh, I had some different places I could stay. I was not allowed at my parents' house. I was not allowed anywhere. Um, honestly, I wasn't allowed really at any family members' houses. I wasn't disallowed. It was just, it was a very, it, it just wasn't good. Um, it was an interesting time. Um, and I had stolen some things from some people, that were not going to probably call the police if they located me. They were probably going to take matters into their own hands. Um, and I'm not sure how I would have emerged from that situation. I'll put it like that. So um, I kind of had a little, um, I was by my parents' house one day, kind of had one of those intervention type weird things. So long story short, I agreed to go to treatment because I had no place else to go. I was tired. I was scared. Um, and it was a hustle. It was a con. Like for me to agree to go, it was like, man, I can just go here. They're going to send me wherever I'm going and I'll be able to, you know, if nothing else, I'll be able to like catch my breath for a minute and figure out what the move is, what the next con is, what the next hustle is. Um, So I agreed. And so I found myself sitting in a treatment center down in Clarksdale, Mississippi with no inkling and honestly, no real vision for me being clean and being sober. It was just like, I'm here now. 
until I can figure out how to get back there or until I can figure out how to start ripping and running again. And, um, I can remember sitting in that treatment center and like they had little like NA meetings and AA meetings that you went to. And once you were there for a few weeks, you could go to like outside meetings and stuff like that, like in the town and shit. And I remember somebody, I remember watching somebody get a 30 day little like key tag. Um, and I can remember that was like the first inkling of like, man, I bet I can get one of those, which is so stupid because I was in treatment for 30 days. So of course you can hopefully get one of those motherfucker. You're stuck. Like, but I can remember like, uh, you know, maybe I can get that thing, you know? And like, I don't know, like, I can't remember the last time I was 30 days clean. So like, I guess that's cool. Like, I guess that's something, you know? And, um, obviously I got it and, um, I can remember, and it's like at that point, you like meet a couple people that are clean, like at some of those outside meetings and stuff, and like, you know, they're pretty cool, so it's like, I don't know, like, maybe I don't have to be a square, you know, maybe I can just be like the, I don't know, you know, I don't know who I can be, maybe I just don't have to be the dude that I am right now, which honestly, um, that seemed like a pretty cool idea, that seemed like a pretty cool thing, so... I can remember thinking in the back of my head, like, I wonder if I can get that six months clean. Like, I wonder if I can get that fucking key tag. Because that will have meant that, like, in the program that I did, like, I stayed for 30 days of treatment. Then I'd stayed for 60 days more, which put me at 90. And then you go into this thing called independent living, <clears throat> where I was actually staying in the city, like, at this halfway house. And I was going to work at the treatment center, as like a little maintenance dude. So at that point in time, I had enough freedom to where it's like, all right, I've got to make some real life choices. I've got to truly choose to like not get high or to like not get drunk or like whatever. So it's like, maybe like, maybe I can do that six month shit. And after that, everything's negotiable. Cause you know, at least then I could like show myself that maybe I had some control or something like that. So it's kind of funny. I think my mind processed it the way that it had to be processed for me to be able to, to, um, accumulate some hope and to accumulate some will. And honestly, for me to more so, I should have said this first for me to accumulate some help. Um, because in those times where my view had softened just enough to where it's like, you know, maybe, maybe I am my own worst enemy. And like, maybe all the shit that I do, maybe I don't have to operate like that. Or, or, you know, like maybe, maybe there's another life out there for me. Like, I know this shit's been my best friend for a long time. And I know this shit felt like home the first time I tried it, but even home doesn't feel like home anymore. And, you know, I don't know where I'm going, but if you can look me in the eye and you can promise me that I, you can get me somewhere different, then like I'm listening you know, and I met some of those people in that period of time that, um, people that I owe my life to, you know, there's no other way to put it. Um, man, because anybody that knows me knows I got a smart ass mouth and I've got an attitude and man, you can't tell me nothing. And I was, um, very lucky to be surrounded by a lot of people early on that liked me and that were willing to be patient with me. And they say it a lot in the rooms and I didn't know what it meant at first, 
but <clears throat> people that were willing to love me until I love myself. Um, cause I was a pretty unlovable little dude. You know, I was just, I was like this complete creature of like consumption. Um, if you gave me an inch before you knew it, I had taken a mile and that was just kind of how I got down. So, <clears throat> um, you know, that, that kind of delivered me to that, like that six month clean kind of time period, you know, and it's kind of, when I look back at it now, when you hear me talk about things like perspective or you hear me talk about like the universe speaking or like when you hear me talk about whatever, um, it's crazy to me how things unfolded when I look back at it in hindsight, cause everything happened exactly the way that it needed to happen for a guy like me who was in the, the spot that I was in to be able to generate some change and to be able to generate like some hope and a way out. Um, so I can remember, you know, like right around that six month time, you know, and I'd always worked in restaurants and I was like sitting in treatment. And that's another thing, like, you know, you, the, the hardest thing in life is to have things that you've always depended on, whether they're good or bad, um, just stripped away because you just have to relearn, you know, like my major coping is my major coping mechanism was always getting high and that was taken away. And the major way that I had always kept myself employed and made money was the restaurant business. And I was scared as to whether or not that was going to be taken away just because of definitely the people that I gravitated to when I was in the restaurant business and definitely like the reputation of the restaurant business back then was like, man, everybody got high, you know, <laughs> like everybody got drunk, everybody got high. And I can remember being like super scared that like, shit, man, like what am I going to have to go like be a telemarketer or like, <laughs> you know, like fucking cut grass or like, like, you know, what the fuck am I going to do for the rest of my life to make money? Because like, you know, what am I going to go back to school? And you know, all these things are, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but like, it wasn't things that I wanted to do. Like, man, I didn't want to fucking go back to school, you know, and I didn't want to do all that stuff because, you know, one thing with me is if, if I, if it's not familiar, um, I can be, I'm the person that can make just about any situation happen, but man, if I don't want to do something, man, that shit is not going to happen. Like hell or high water, man. Like I ain't going, you ain't going to make me do it. Like, no. And so I can remember just like really feeling, you know, I felt better and I felt hope, but I still didn't feel like I had any place on this earth and I felt like I didn't have anywhere to go. And I'll be honest with you, I just stayed at the treatment center because they let me stay. Um, and, you know, when I first went to treatment, I didn't even know, you know, it was kind of like a don't call us, we'll call you type thing with a lot of my family because I had burnt them up like they were tired of it, you know. And so I can remember, and this is what I'm talking about. I'm, I feel like I get sidetracked, especially when I talk about this. It just weaves in and out. So I hope it's somewhat coherent for y'all to follow, but like. Um, man, when I, when I talk about things unfolding exactly the way that they're supposed to unfold, um, you know, I couldn't stay in that independent living thing forever. I definitely still had some time that I could use it if I needed to, but I can remember they lost, there was a children's center that was right across the street or like the gravel driveway from the adult center that I was at down in Clarksdale. And I can remember 
they lost one of their cooks. And some people at the, at the adult center knew that I had a restaurant background. They knew that I had a cooking background and they were like, Hey man, <clears throat> do you want to, uh, do you want to go be the cook across the street? And it's like, well, yeah, like, you know, cause I definitely am sick of living in that f- fucking halfway house. And like, you know, when I was in independent living, I still had to go do group and I like half of your day was definitely still spent in like a treatment type setting. Like I had to go see a counselor and like, man, seeing counselors is great. Like I've been to therapy in, in the free world, you know, or whatever, but like seeing your counselor that you're assigned to at rehab and then seeing them for like six months, like you're fucking over that shit. It's like, man, if I got to go sit in this motherfucking room and talk to fucking Barry again, like I'm over it, man. I'm not doing it. And so, um, shit, that was a fake name. <laughs> I shouldn't have said, anyway, uh, none of y'all know him. Um, so, I can remember being like, hell yeah, dude, I'll take that job. Like I'll cook for those kids. Um, you know, and it was by no means, it was, you know, frozen food. It was super simple, but I can remember like getting in that kitchen and like doing that shit. And like you, you feel a little bit of your life force come back, you know, it's like, ah, shit. Like, even though I'm just putting piles of stuff in a fryer right now and it's not even anything remotely like a restaurant you know like there ain't no waiters there's no nothing like I can just remember being like man I miss this shit like it feels good you know like um but you know so like and so another thing you know when I talk about perspective like in that period of time of my life so I took that job And me taking that job meant that I had to move out of the halfway house. And so I had a little car, like I had a little Honda Accord. And I was like, you know, kind of, you're kind of scraping to get everything back together in your life. And that job paid me $800 a month. Uh, When I was working at this treatment center, if you hear me talking about Clarksdale, in that period of time that I was living down in Clarksdale, uh, employed by the treatment center, I got paid once a month by the state of Mississippi. So it is a crash course in budgeting your money. Um, it is a, honestly, for me, it was a crash course in being broke <laughs> because I couldn't budget for shit, man. I couldn't do nothing. And, um, cause it was just foreign to me, dude. I always had that hustler's mentality. Like whatever's in my pocket is, is for the good and I'll get some more tomorrow, you know? And this was just not that life. And, um, so I can remember I took that job and then I sat down with a piece of paper and I did some math and it's like, oh shit, like I'm already broke. Like I haven't even taken the job and, uh, cause I had to get an apartment, you know, and I had to like get all that stuff. So, you know, um, this is leading to another story that is one of the biggest like perspective things in my life. This is probably the thing that I think about the most, um, when I'm thinking about perspective or when I'm thinking about whatever, or when I'm just unhappy in any day-to-day scenario. Um, I got a really good compliment like a couple months ago and it kind of revolved around me taking this new job. And somebody said, cause I wasn't miserable at the place that I was cooking before I, I went to go work for Arrive downtown, but I definitely wasn't happy and it was a day-to-day progression. And sometimes you don't see unhappiness creeping up on you as it creeps up. 
Um, it definitely wasn't where I was supposed to be. It was a great opportunity. Um, I worked with some great cooks. I worked with some great people, but just overall, it was just, it was like a year period of me trying on some shoes that I knew didn't fit. And it's like, man, I think I can walk in these today. And then like every night your feet just fucking hurt, if that makes sense. Um, and I think every, every night when I went home, I think my head hurt a little more than it should. And I think my, not to be like lame, I think my heart hurt a little more than it should. I was just trying to fit myself in a box that I just really, at the end of the day, I could operate in, um, but it wasn't where I was supposed to be. But somebody said something to me that kind of resonated. They saw me downtown and they found out that I had changed jobs and they were like, damn, that's crazy. Cause they were like, on social media, you seemed like you were so happy. And they were like, the pictures of food you were posting, like, they really looked like you were having a good time and you were like doing your thing. And the first thing about me is even if I don't love anything around me, I'll always love the food. Because you've heard me say this before in this podcast, and I'll say this shit again. Cooking has been one thing that is single-handedly, not single-handedly, that's not, that's incorrect, has been a huge part of my way back and me finding myself again and me finding my happiness and me finding my sea legs out in this world. And if nothing else, it's given me something to consistently do to like occupy my time. So I'll never let the food slip, even if I can't stand where I'm at, because the food has nothing to do with it. If, if I'm not happy at a restaurant, if I'm not happy at a situation, um, it's almost like I got to stay true to the craft. I got to stay true to my vision. I got to stay true to the food. But another thing about that comment and I didn't tell them this cause it's obviously this podcast is already getting long and like, <clears throat> it's a long story. But when I took that job cooking across the street at the kids center, day one, I didn't have enough money. And so I'm talking like I had, I got $800 a month. I had just enough money to pay for my apartment, to pay for my car, to pay for the insurance. And honestly, I didn't have quite enough to cover all that. So the minute I got paid, I was broke and I only got paid once a month. So anyway, something has to happen. I got to get a side gig. And so I got this side gig because also like I wanted to be able to go to meetings at night and I wanted to be able to engage some of these people that were like helping me to live. And I was still a little bit scared of restaurants and stuff. So it's like, I'm not going to go wait tables at night or I'm not going to go cook at night. Like that's just, I don't feel like that's going to be successful. So I got this job cleaning bricks <laughs> and a few people have heard me talk about this before. <laughs> But there was this old cotton compress that had burnt down in Clarksdale. And it was like a couple of city blocks that was fenced off with this big chain link fence. And it looked like like those pictures you see of like Afghanistan or something. It was this huge building that had burnt and they would just knock all the walls down. And they had like slowly gone through and like taken all the metal out. They were reclaiming all this stuff and they were reselling it because it was like like these bricks – they were like, which I knew nothing about bricks. Um, I still don't know shit about bricks. I know something about one kind of brick. Um, they didn't have the three little holes in them. And they were like old school bricks, like forged, I guess, like the old way, which means they were like better or whatever. And they were like, they were beautiful. They had all these different colors. There's like the orange ones and the brown ones and like the deep red ones and like, you know, yada, yada, yada. 
So they could sell these bricks to build patios or like to build like, you know, people that wanted some nice looking brickwork. They could resell these bricks when they reclaimed them. So where I come into this scenario is they would give me 50 bucks if I sat in the middle of Mississippi in the middle of the summertime and basically like huge piles of rubble and concrete and metal and stuff and you just dig down in the piles and you pull out bricks and you take a little camp hatchet and you knock the mortar off the brick like those little bitty tiny axes that you can buy like at Outdoors Incorporated or like Dick Sporting Goods and you knock all the mortar off of it and when the brick's clean then it's available to stack on the pallet because they would check the pallets to make sure all the bricks were clean and if you put 500 bricks on a pallet they would give you 50 bucks uh, so do the math. Um, it's a pain in the ass to make 50 bucks, but you can make 50 bucks. And so the way, the way my world worked back then <clears throat> is I really needed to do some weeks I would do two because that shit just sucked. But like, I really needed to do like two or three a week to be able to feed myself and to be able to like put gas in my car. Like there was no question about it. Like I had to do it. And, you know, I'm sure you can only imagine like, Take somebody like me that grew up in Memphis and that definitely like love the restaurant business. And it's, you know, it's hard work in and of itself. Um, but like, God, I'll just never forget the feeling of like sitting in the middle of this huge two city block pile of like rubble that looked like bombs had gone off and stuff and digging through these piles, finding bricks and chipping the mortar off of them. And like having to do it and just thinking about my life, like everything I've done, all my best decisions, all my best handiwork, all my true genius has delivered me to this point in life. I'm damn near 30 years old. I ain't got shit to show for it. And if I want to eat tonight, I got to knock all the mortar off 260 more of these bricks and hope I do it quick enough that homeboy's still here and he can give me that 50 bucks. Otherwise, I'll have to get it tomorrow. Um, and every time I look back at it, every time I think about it, like that's perspective that you can't put a price on. And when someone talks about like a job sucking or like their day sucking or like, man, tonight's service was busy, like that shit fucking sucked. <laughs> And I don't say it a lot because nobody wants to hear that dude talk all the time. He's like, oh, let me tell you something that really sucked, boy. But like, you want to know what really sucks? Cleaning bricks for just enough money to have something to eat. And I'm not talking about something nice to eat. You know, it's just like, this is going to let me get groceries that'll hopefully last me like four or five days. And like... I can't explain the gratitude, like in hindsight, I can't explain the gratitude and the need in my life for moments like that because they don't necessarily serve, it serves the purpose in the moment of like me being able to feed myself and me being able to like get through this day to get to the next day to put everything together and to get my fucking life back and to get myself wherever I'm going to go. Um, but man the real dividends that that job pays, it pays in my life these days. Like when I think about it or when I want to, when I want to trip like and act like a bitch because I'm not getting my way 
or I don't think something's fair or I think something's too hard or like, oh, I got to do that too. It's like, you know, dude, you, you could be in a completely different place and you could be in a completely different time and you could be doing some shit that really did suck um, because you have no choice. Um, and and that's, that's what, at the end of the day, <clears throat> like those are the things that I love about the path. And that's life's journey. And it's not just for me, it's for everybody, you know, like everybody. I'm not the only person that's got stories about things sucking and then getting to a different place. But like, that's the beauty of life, man. Like if you live it long enough and if you're real and if you're willing to work on some shit and like work on yourself, like, man, this life will give you like such good perspective and it's all just fuel, man. It's all fuel for the next day and it's all fuel for that next version and that better version of ourselves that we're all out there working towards, you know? And, um, and that's shit that I never forget. And it made me feel good that like someone that doesn't know that story Someone that knows me, but doesn't even really know me. Like they know me as in a sense of like, they've eaten at some of my restaurants and they know a little bit about me and like stuff like that. But that little thing pays dividends in their perception because of a little crazy comment that like, man, you really look like you were still doing your thing. And like, you were still like digging it, you know, and the food looked cool. And it's like, well, good. Because cleaning those bricks fucking sucked, but at least it's still helping me be a better person, you know? And um, I can remember that, you know, and I definitely spent some months doing that to make ends meet. And like, and once again, the way things unfold, um, I can remember uh, the job. It was about the best job at the treatment center because you got like a hellacious amount of overtime every week. But I can remember the job came up for the weekend supervisor at the adult center. And the way things worked in that world back then, a lot of times it came up for a sad reason. It came up because somebody relapsed and lost their job. But it came up and they offered it to me because at that point in time, you know, it had been a minute that they had given me some freedom and I'd been on my own and I hadn't fucked nothing up yet, you know, probably because I didn't have time or money, but whatever, I hadn't fucked it up yet. And so they were like, hey, do you want to do this weekend supervisor position? And there's part of me that didn't because I was definitely like enjoying like cooking for the kids and stuff, but it was literally like twice as much money. So it's like, you know, that's a no brainer. Like I'll definitely do it. Um, so basically I took this job where I would go into work at 5 p.m. Um, on Friday and I would be at work straight until 8 a.m. on Monday. I slept at the center. I basically babysitted anywhere from like 40 to 60 people at any given time, male, female. There was a, there was a, I had um, a female counterpart that was prim primarily over the women. I was primarily over the men, but we were both kind of, we'd flip flop because you got to take naps and shit and like yada, yada, yada. Um, I will say this, her name was Miss Pearl. She's a big part of my life and always will be because she had never done a drug. She had never done anything, but it was just an opportunity for me to spend endless amount of hours on the weekend with a woman that was in her late sixties that had great perspective. She was born and raised in Mississippi and for everything that I learned about recovery and learned about not doing drugs in that treatment center, Man, Miss shit, Miss Pearl taught me how to fucking cook cabbage. <laughs> she taught me how to make pig's feet, but I'll probably never use that. But like, uh, 
And man, she just taught me a lot about life. She taught me a lot about just being responsible, like just being responsible. And like, I can remember like I came in that place like guns blazing, like, man, motherfuckers, I'm in charge now. Like, you know, what's that little thing? Like, look at me, I'm the captain now. And she let me spin my wheels and she let me drive myself crazy. And about 90 days in, she sat me down and she was like, are you done trying to be in charge? Because she was like, nobody runs anything. She was like, we're here to make phone calls. We're here to, to she's like, these people are going to choose whatever their destiny is. We're just here to help. We're here to answer the phones. We're here to help them if they want help. And we're here to get them out of here if they don't want help. And it's like, ah, shit, like that makes so much sense. Because I was driving myself crazy, man. I was trying to be the sheriff. I was trying to like, man, just listen to me, dude. I've been clean for nine months. If you just listen to me, man, I can change your life. Like, I, you know, I'm so embarrassed by like, Everything that probably came out of my mouth <laughs> at that period of time in my life. But, you know, she taught me a lot. And I never would have spent that amount of time that I spent with her um, if I hadn't taken that job. And I'll tell you another thing, man. And I don't talk about this a whole lot to really anybody. Um, there was a, uh, a chef that came through. When, <clears throat> man, this uh, is hard for me to talk about. Uh, there was a chef that came through when I was the weekend supervisor down there. And, like, if I hadn't had that job, man, I never would have crossed this dude's path. And um, he had, like, cooked in France. And, oh, man, the dude was bad to the fucking bone. I'm not going to say his name because it's not my place to say his name. But... Dude was bad to the bone, and there's a lot of people in Mississippi who know who who knew who this person was, and like um, he had the same demons I had, you know. And like one thing that was cool about the weekend job is it connected me to cooking in a different way than cooking at that kids center did, because I would get volunteers, and basically you had to make sure three meals a day got cooked by volunteers on Saturday and Sunday. And so I would go in there and cook with them, dude. And we would like smoke ribs. Like we were doing the, the little kitchen manager dude liked me and like he would let me pick out cool stuff for him to order. And like we were cooking and man, this dude rolled through and like, I don't know if he was trying to kiss my ass because I was the guy in charge. Actually, I do know because he was a really genuine person. Um, and he like really encouraged me. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was one of those times where somebody looks me in the eye and they're like, man, you need to get back to doing this because it's what you love and it's like what you should be doing. And, uh, like you, you've, you've served your time down here, man. Like you're ready to roll, like get back into that life. And, um, I remember, whew, man, this shit, I hadn't talked about this in a minute. Um, I remember like you're not supposed to take gifts from like the clients, you know, like as a worker, I'm not supposed to take gifts from the people that were in the treatment center. And he got out on a weekend pass <clears throat> and he went home. He was from Oxford and he went home. And when he came back, he walked in and he handed me something that was wrapped up. It was wrapped up in like a chunk of like a, like an old towel. And I was like, what is this? I was like, is this something you need me to hold on to for you, like, until you leave? Or, like, and he was like, no, man, that's for you. <clears throat> and it was a knife. <clears throat> it 
it was like this, uh, it was like this rose handled, um, Sabatier knife. It was a fucking badass knife, man. And he was like, man, this is yours now. He's like, it used to be mine and now it's yours. <clears throat> and I was like, oh man, I can't take this. And he was like, dude, it's already yours. <clears throat> so of course I took it, you know, like I, I remember like, OG drug addict shit came up like that shit was tucked under my shirt and that shit was it with it was in my backpack within like two minutes like Miss Pearl if she's out there listening she never even saw that knife because I was like man I'm keeping this shit because it was badass man <clears throat> and um and it was right about that period of time the stars lined up and I started talking to a guy that I used to work with back in Memphis. <laughs> And during the week, I would drive back up here, and I would cook during the week, and I kept that job down there at the time um, at the treatment center as the weekend dude. Um, and that's kind of where it all started <clears throat> as far as, like, the next chapter of my life. And I'll never forget, um, I don't have that knife anymore. Uh and actually, I don't have that friend anymore because he committed suicide. But uh, I'll never forget, man. After that, um, it was along the way somewhere. That knife fell off my cutting board one night. And it was after he had already passed from this earth. <sighs> um, that knife fell off my cutting board one night somewhere that I was working. And it hit the ground and it made the weirdest sound that I've ever heard anything make when it hits the ground. And it snapped in half, like dead in the middle. It was the weird, I wish I like had like a picture of it or something. And it just snapped in half, like dead in the middle, like beyond repair. Like, you know, there's no, it was just over, you know, it's almost like that knife, just like him. <clears throat> it's like those things were in my life when they needed to be in my life. And then they moved on out of my life. But like, <clears throat> But the mark had already been made, you know what I mean? Or it's like the, uh, I don't know how to say it. I'm kind of losing my train of thought a little bit. But like, um, and I'll never forget, I picked it up off the ground and I wrapped it up and I kept it in a drawer for a long time. I wish I still had it, but I threw it away because it kind of messed with my head. But like, um, and that's another thing, you know, like... <clears throat> You know, what I do as a, as a chef or what I do as a man, what I do as a human being, and I still make mistakes every day, you know, and I still um, fall short or whatever standards out there or let myself down or let other people down, um, you know, but like it's, it's a very, it's a very public thing to cook for a living because people get to come by your food and they get to try it and they get to form their own opinions about you. And that's fine. That comes with the territory. I don't mind carrying that weight. Honestly, it's not a lot of weight to carry because, you know, people deal with a lot bigger things in life than somebody not liking a sandwich they made. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, um, you know, like when, when I have bad days in the kitchen or when, you know, things don't go my way or when jobs... <clears throat> You know, because since since he encouraged me and since he kind of gave me that little push and that little kick in the ass and that knife, and he's like, dude, get back in there. Like, get back in the game, homeboy. Um, you know, since I came back, 
man, you know, there's been a lot of losses. There's been a lot of, it's been the biggest learning experience of my life as a man and as a chef. Um, but there's been so many situations that I haven't understood why they ended up the way that they, under, that they ended up, you know, or I, I haven't understood why that didn't work. Cause I, I, cause I put in the work, you know what I mean? And like, I did it and like the food was good. Like, why didn't that fucking work? Or like, why didn't, and it's easy to get caught up in that. And it's easy to get pa- caught up in opinions and it's easy to get caught up in like, I call it getting pushed off the spot. You know what I mean? Because there's a spot. The way I view the world, there's a spot I'm supposed to be in and there's a spot that I'm supposed to operate from and there's a place that I'm supposed to cook from and there's a place that I'm supposed to like live from and everything in life, if you let it, if you focus on all this shit that's swirling around you that doesn't mean anything, it's just stuff, it's just details, it's just minutia. If you focus on all that stuff... It'll take you off your spot. It'll push you off your spot. If I'm so worried about where you're standing and what you're doing, then I'm not worried about where I'm standing or what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, like all these lessons have engineered me or have given me that perspective or given me that whatever to daily remind myself of that, you know? And it's like all these moments that I don't want to have to deal with or that like I think aren't fair or I think aren't stupid. Like at least I'm still here and at least I get to go through it because my friend, somebody who is a huge part of me getting back to this, you know, he doesn't even get that. He can't even have that. And like, you know, that's life and that's the way life unfolds. But like, I almost feel like if, if I feel like, like the way I, the, where I stand today, um, like if I don't cook from my heart and if I don't stay true to my vision, if I don't stay on my spot or if I don't accept defeat and learn from it, or if I don't own up to my mistakes and become a better person, um, not only am I letting myself down and I'm letting the people around me now down, I'm letting the people that helped me get back down. You know what I mean? I'm letting people down that aren't even here anymore. And like, I'm grateful for that, you know? And it's not a sad thing. Like, I don't view it as a sad thing anymore. Um, I think I get like, weird when I talk about it just because it's weird, you know, or because I feel weird about it. But like, you know, the reality is, um, things happen and life happens, you know? And like, I, uh, I guess, you know, in, in telling, in this podcast, I'm telling you about part of my path and at no time in the path have I under, have I ever understood why that was the path. You know what I mean? Like, hell, half the time I haven't even understood where I'm going or why I'm going there. And I understand it somewhat in this moment now, but I guarantee you if I did another podcast, which I hopefully I will, in two months and six months and 10 years and 20 years, like, I'll just be talking about this as some weird intermediary position to, like, where I was truly supposed to go or where I was truly trying to get, you know? But, like... The, um, 
the main thing, you know, the main thing for me and the main thing that I want to be pulled out of this episode and ultimately maybe pulled out of this podcast is like, it's not the setbacks. Setbacks aren't setbacks, you know, like if you frame it correctly and if you've got your, your eyes on the prize and if you're, you know, you're just open hearted and you're a human being and you're a member of society or a member of the universe Everything that takes you down a peg is delivering you to somewhere. And everything that you don't understand is delivering you to somewhere. You know, the the biggest, most guilt-riddled, um, emotionally charged period of time and mistake-filled years of my life, I wouldn't trade any of them because they've allowed me to have the life that I have now. You know, um, I would definitely like some of the time back (laughs) because I wasted a lot of time, but like the perspective that I've been lucky enough to have by, by going through life the way that I've, I've chosen to go through life, I just wouldn't change it and I wouldn't trade it, you know? And, and at the end of the day, um, there's been so many times on this journey that I've felt hopeless or I've felt lost or I've felt you know, because I, I still have all those feelings on a day-to-day basis of that I don't fit anywhere, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, or I'm not. And that's just all, that's just bullshit, man. That's just my subconscious. That's just that, you know, the little demon that I'm out trying, I'm out here trying to ditch or, you know, trying to outrun. That's just doubt creeping in, you know? And unfortunately, I feel like definitely part of my existence and definitely part of the human existence is like, Doubt creeps in, you know, and like, if you choose to fully engage it, it'll, it'll take you away from that place of growth and it'll take you away from that place of trying, you know, because at the end of the day, man, for the last 10 years of my life, for the last 12 years of my life, I've just decided that like, and you know, like fast forward all this or like yada, yada, yada or whatever, like another little, another slight little poignant moment is like, the way that I came to working at this job that I'm at now, which I really am excited about, I really, I'm, I can't wait to see where it's all going to go and where it's all going to take me. It was a chance meeting with a guy at a soccer game that I wasn't going to go to, that I went to and then left. I was on a date and the food that they had like provided at this like special event at this soccer game sucked. And so I was like, well, let's go get some food. And the person that invited me to the event was like blowing my phone up. Like, dude, like I wanted you to meet somebody. You need to come back and meet this person and yada, yada, yada. Everything unfolded to where the person I was on a date with needed to go. Um, I went back to the game and I met the person that gave me this job just completely randomly. And we weren't even talking about a job when we first met. We were just talking about food and talking about life and stuff. And... Second time I met him, still not even an interview, he said something that stuck with me. And he's like, opportunity is only opportunity if you take it. And I feel like that has a lot of resonance. It resonates a lot in my life because, you know, play it all the way back to wherever I started rambling, however long ago. I feel like this one's gotten way too long, but we're we're knee deep in it now. Um, 
that resonates with me sitting at a treatment center, not really knowing if I'm going to be able to get clean or if I'm just taking a break from getting high and just not knowing where my life was about to go and looking at somebody get a key tag and being like, man, maybe I can do that shit. Like maybe if I just shut my fucking mouth and I just sit here and I just listen to these people talk and stop listening to myself for a minute, maybe I can get that 30-day key tag. And then beyond that, maybe I can get that 60-day key tag. And then beyond that, the next thing that pops up. And then beyond that, the next job that pops up. And then it's like, honestly, that's, I feel like that's all I've been doing on a lot of levels is it's like, I got out of my own way. I quit listening to myself all the time. I started listening to people that knew a little bit more than me or maybe had a different perspective or whatever. And I just walked and whatever opportunity came across my path, man, it's like, shit, I'll try that shit because it ain't death. And it ain't drugs (laughs) and it ain't cleaning bricks. So like, how bad could it be? You know? And, um, man, like I just feel pretty lucky with how everything's turned out so far. And I couldn't have done any of it without taking that opportunity. I couldn't have done any of it without people loving me enough to put the brakes on my lifestyle Um, and then I couldn't have done any of it without strangers that had never met me, that didn't even know me the week before, like choosing to take an interest in me and like choosing to show me some love and like for whatever reason, cause it's always feels a little foreign to me just being like, you know what? I'm just going to love this little smart ass little dude over here until he figures it out until he loves himself. And Man, like, you know, we talk about angels and we talk about whatever you want to call it, man. But there's people on this earth that have some shit inside of them that's just like, thank God that they're here. And thank God that they're wherever they're supposed to be in this universe for people to encounter them. And, you know, I have a feeling in everybody's life, those people have different faces and they, you know, they have different purposes, but like, it's pretty cool that that out here in this whole fucking thing that we call life, that there's people that we're destined to bump into and there's people that are here to help us, man. And it's like the most selfless shit in the world. They really get nothing out of it. Like the only thing that people have ever really gotten out of helping me is maybe a few laughs and like a free sandwich here and there, which, you know, I guess that's something, but like, um, you know, at the end of the day, and I really do need to stop babbling at the end of the day, man, it's just a bunch of gratitude and I'm just a lucky dude. And, um, that's a little bit of my story up till now. Um, the podcast is the podcast. I've got guests that are going to do it with me. It's just like super disjointed right now because of this new, um, work opportunity and stuff like that. I do have, um, should be on this episode when it airs. I do have some new theme music that's super dope. And I have somebody that I'm going to get to sit down and do a podcast with me who I actually met through this new job, um, which is surrounding me by a bunch of great people. And in the best way possible, it's really, really, really super energizing me to push through these next handful of years and see what's in front of me. So I think ultimately it'll, it'll be great for me creatively. Hopefully it'll be good for the podcast. Um, but, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I always do. I'm going to keep showing up. 
I'm going to keep running my mouth. I'm going to listen to others a little more than I listen to myself, and I'm going to see where everything takes me. And I guess if things keep up, it'll be loosely documented on a podcast as I go through it. So um, hopefully this wasn't too long. Hopefully y'all don't feel like I'll just wasted too much of your life. Um, thanks for tuning in. <clears throat> Lost in the Sauce is still a thing. It's been on a little bit of a hiatus, but we've still got all that fun stuff coming down the pipe. I'm just going to not put a timetable on it. I'm going to let it happen organically. I'm going to let it happen naturally. Um, But I've still got some cameras and I've still got some willing participants. Um, I have a little less time than I have had lately right now. Uh, But I feel like all that will regulate itself too. So once again, thanks for tuning in. Um, Stay on the lookout for the next episode, which I have no idea what it'll be and, and, and really when it'll come out. But I'm kind of back energized on a lot of levels, so I'm going to try to start um, at least cranking these out a little more consistently. So uh, I will see you guys when I see y'all. Thanks for listening.